Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Amen. I would invite you to open your Bibles or your device to John chapter 3. We're going to continue in our journey through this amazing book. Uh, the greatest, if not one of the few greatest in all of God's eternal counsel is the gospel according to John. It's written by a guy who had a very up-close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus, the Savior of the world. And Jesus didn't hide from that. He called him the one that he loved. And so it's good, good stuff coming from an amazing person who had a relationship, a special uh, encounter and relationship with Jesus. Now, it's a special day today uh, in the early service. I got to recognize two young couples, which I love young couples. I love these college students up front. Y'all rock. You're amazing. These uh, youth students over here, man, y'all are amazing. I just love young people because that's our future church. Amen? And you need to engage with them, encourage them, invest in them, and love on them. And listen to this, and be a great example for them. So uh, a a couple of years ago, I married a, a young couple on a Saturday night. And at the end of it, the, 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 the reception was over, and they said, hey, we'll see you at church tomorrow. And I'm like, you just got married. You coming to church tomorrow? And they said, yeah. And then we're here the next day. I said, now, they're off to the right start. Amen? And so last night, we were up in Campbell County, and I married a young couple. It's been coming. It's been an amazing, beautiful journey watching them. And same thing. They said, we'll see you tomorrow at church. I'm like, when are y'all going on your honeymoon? Not leaving till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And so they were here in the early service. And I'm just amazed. That's what God is building in the life of our church. Young people who are getting the greatness of being faithfully committed to the Lord Jesus and his church. And so we're going to talk about today how that becomes real. What happens in our life when just like that song, uh, the lyrics of that song, we were singing, I just want to be near where you are. Listen to me, church. If you not, not just have a, a, possess, a profession of Christianity, but you have a possession of Christianity. In other words, it didn't stop at the gray matter. It's in your soul. Then you should have a personal desire just to be where Jesus is. And sometimes we're content to have very little Jesus in our life. And that is not what Jesus died to give us, okay? And and so I'll paint it to you this way. There's many people who profess Christianity, but they're not that excited about daily having a walk, a journey, a relationship, an encounter with Jesus, their Savior. Listen, if you're born again saved, you are going to spend stinking eternity with Jesus. And so we need to be excited and practice hanging out with Jesus if we really are going. Now, the alternative, you can go to hell and not be with Jesus. That's between you and him. But I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking, if he really saved us and he's really has prepared an eternal home for us, we should celebrate that now, right? Amen? Man. Okay, just change the message. I'm going to preach harder. Okay, we're in John, and this is what we've learned. This is what has already been revealed to us from John the Apostle. First of all, that Jesus is God. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is God. Next, Jesus is the creator of all things. Tell your neighbor, he's creator. 
Next, we found out Jesus is a miracle man. Tell your neighbor he still performs miracles. Next, we learned that Jesus speaks with unparalleled authority. Tell your neighbor he's large and in charge. And then last week, probably the least appealing, palatable passage of Scripture, we learned that Jesus is not impressed with religious people. Tell your neighbor, Jesus is not worried about your religious checklist. Yeah, it got quieter that day. What's up with that? Well, the reality is, Nicodemus shows up into the narrative last week, and he's a guy with a beautiful resume. He's got accolades, man. People are impressed with him. He's got a following. He's been doing this religious gig his whole life. And he shows up to Jesus because he realizes, as it says in Scripture, he must be sent from God because he's doing some killer things and, and there's something supernatural about him. And so he brings his religious wonderful self into the presence of Jesus by night. And he inquires, his, as a Pharisee, his goal was to know for sure that he's going to heaven when he dies. And so he shows up to Nicodemus. Nicodemus shows up to Jesus as if to say, am I missing something? If there's something I haven't done in my religious repertoire, on my list, if there's something I can add to that, just to be sure when I die, I go to the kingdom of heaven, then tell me, I'll do the extra credit because I'm a religious guy and I can do the things I need to do. But when he shows up, Jesus doesn't, Jesus is not impressed and he doesn't respond like Nicodemus thought he would. He doesn't even address the fact that Nicodemus is a churchgoer faithful to the temple. He didn't address the greatness that Nicodemus had memorized at least the first five books of the Bible. He, he, Jesus didn't really acknowledge or recognize that Nicodemus as a Pharisee would have been a faithful giver, a tither to the church. Jesus didn't recognize that Nicodemus believed and taught other people to believe in Yahweh, the true and living God. He didn't recognize any of that stuff. He said, Nick, unless you're born again, you shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it kind of punched Nicodemus in the gut. It just kind of laid him low. Because listen, here's a grown man who had pursued God to the best of his ability his entire life. I mean, it's not all of his personal fault and making. At some point as a little boy, they had all the little Jewish boys in Hebrew school, and they were teaching them uh, the Pentateuch, and, 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 and here's this amazing little guy, Nicodemus, that had a bright mind, and he could memorize all of this scripture. And so no doubt, one of his leaders, one of his teachers would say, Nick, man, I'm, you're real, you've got something going on that's different. You, you, God has given you a brilliant mind to memorize scripture. You keep doing this, man, and, and, and I, I think God is going to afford you a place in, like, in the religious culture. I think he'll use you in a powerful way. And so Nick's like, the gears are turning. Yeah, man, that's cool. And so he starts getting on the, the religious wheel, and, man, he's learning more scripture, and he's learning the doctrine of it and the history, and, and he's getting it all down, and he understands Abraham and the lineages and all that, and he thinks, I've got this. And then he meets Jesus, and Jesus says, you missed the most important step. Unless you're born again, none of that matters. And so he leaves him hanging on this doctrine of being born again. And, and what is that? Well, today, 
We're going to move further in the gospel of John. And he's going to unpack what it means to be born again. So I call the message today simply the greatest. The greatest. And in today's message, we're going to see three things that are the greatest things that will ever come into your world. That will ever be a part of who you are. And that's why I call it the greatest The first one, number one, the greatest question you will ever ask. The greatest question you will ever ask. Beginning in verse 9 of John chapter 3, Nicodemus is set on his heels because Jesus said, that doesn't matter, you must be born again. So Nicodemus is going to inquire, and here's what he says in verse 9. How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he does something odd. Jesus reaches back to something that Nicodemus might get. He goes back to the book of Numbers, back deep in the Old Testament, and he says in verse 14, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. Now, Nicodemus asked the greatest question you'll ever ask. It's that place and time, that moment in all of God's eternal timeline where you as an individual, not your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your wife, your husband, your mother, your father, your grandparent, your child, nobody else. This is when God deals with you. Now, this, this, is, this is a little bit overwhelming to think the God of the universe, the one who whispered the stars into space, he causes them to shine. The Bible says he numbers them and names them. He takes note and accounts for them when they fall. That God has an encounter with you when he reaches down to where you are, whispers into the depth of your soul. The preacher can't do it. Your mama can't do it. Your boyfriend, girlfriend can't do it. God does that. The Holy Spirit of God reaches down and he captures your attention in the moment. And everything else around you simply disappears into oblivion. That's what happened in Nicodemus' life. He thought, man, I've got this. I'm doing the things I'm supposed to do. But now he has an encounter with God in the person of Jesus. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And it sets him back. He says, how can this be? Everything I banked on, everything I built my life on, everything I held dear to me in my relationship with God doesn't matter Unless I'm born again. Jesus perceived his heart. And so Jesus then opens it up a little bit to explain. And at the end of it, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted lifted up so that whoever believes will have in him eternal life. So so he says, listen, Nicodemus, you've asked a great question. How can this be? It's as if Jesus is saying, I know you know the Old Testament. Do you remember back in the book of Numbers, after the nation of Israel had been delivered from 400 years of bondage and captivity? You remember the miracles that I did for them? You remember the plagues? Do you remember the Passover? Do you remember uh, the parting of the sea and walking over on dry land? 
Do you remember the cloud by day and the fire by night? Do you remember the manna, the food falling from heaven? You remember all that stuff? And do you remember in Numbers what it said those people did? They began to grumble and complain. And God sent serpents, snakes, to bite them. I was reading this. I was like, I know I've been obedient. And I know I'll be obedient again in the future. But of all the things I never want God to put on me as punishment or discipline, snakes. They're all, all of them are rattle-headed, copper moccasin, teeth that big. I hate them all, okay? And I'm thinking this, and, and, and I went back and read it, and it would bite them, and they, people were just dying. And so Moses went to God in intercessory prayer, and he says, God, can, can you relieve us of these snakes? And God told Moses to take one of those snakes and put it on the end of a staff and hold it up. And when the people would look at the snake, they would see the thing that is killing them and they could be healed. And then Jesus turns it and he says, just like that, Moses, excuse me, Nicodemus, the son of man must be lifted up. He was saying, I'm going to be lifted up. And the thing that's killing everybody when they look at the thing that's killing everybody, they can be healed. You say, what is that? Jesus became sin for you. He, 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 he became all of your sin. Right now, think of all of your sin. Think of one of them and then multiply it because that's how we sin over and over. Okay? He became that. And, and, and Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, just like the serpent on the staff, just like that, when people look to that thing that's killing them, they can find healing. So he begins to unpack this thing about being born again because he knows that at the end of the story, Nicodemus's goal is to simply be born again. And, and so all of us have to get to that place where we can ask the greatest question we can ever ask, and it is this, how can this be that God would wrap himself in humanity, put a body on him, come to this earth, and live 33 years as a perfect human being only to qualify him to die on a cross in my place? How can that be? And you're telling me there's nothing I can do to contribute to that amazing story? And the answer is no, there's nothing you can do. He's done everything. What do you bring to salvation's equation? One, a need for it. And two, the receiving of it. That's it. He has done all of the work. And so, so just like Nicodemus, we have to get to that place where... We understand the greatness of Jesus becoming sin for us so we can find our healing. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now, I'm going to read that again because I want you to get what's happening here. What Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's powerfully important for you and for me, he says, he made God, he made him Jesus who knew no sin. He was perfect. He made him to become sin on our behalf so that we might become an exchange, so that we might become the righteousness, the right standing, the rightness of God in him. Now, I just want you to hear that because it's going to help us as we move 
forward. So, so we all have to come to a place where we ask a great question. And for me, it was when I was a little boy. It was in 1972 in a revival. And I wouldn't pay any attention. I'm, that's not my strong suit. And, but the, the Lord has a way to push through that. Just whoosh, right down in the middle of the mess, separate all the noise, and speak into the depth of who we are. No matter who we are, where we are, how long we fought it, run from it, played games with it, he has a way of penetrating all of that and reaching right down into the depth of your soul and speaking to you to the place where you say something that sounds like, how can this be? I thought I had this all going on. I thought I had it figured out. So the greatest question. Now, the greatest question in this passage leads to the greatest Bible verse you will ever learn. The greatest Bible verse you will ever learn. In fact, as we read on in John, we get to verse 16, John 3.16. Who's familiar with John 3.16? Put your hands down. Who has memorized John 3.16? Who can remember when and why you remembered John 3.16? I don't remember anybody teaching me John 3.16. I just know it's up in my head. I don't, I don't remember somebody saying, John 3, 16, oh, for God so loved the world, oh, like Barney Fife, give me another, what's the next word, oh, you know. No, it's like, it's like, it's just there. Why? Because, listen, it's the greatest Bible verse you will ever learn. It is the most quoted verse. It is the most memorized verse. It is the most evangelic evangelistically used verse it is it is the verse that will change your world it'll change when you get it it'll change your relationship with God the Father through Jesus the Son it'll change your relationship with those around you it'll change your relationship with this life because you understand there's something better waiting for you in Jesus it is the greatest verse now now there's an amazing story connected to John 3.16 that many of you may have heard. Many of you may have never heard this story. But in 2009, John 3.16 made it to a whole nother level of acclaim uh, and fame. Because in 2009, there was a guy playing quarterback for the Florida Gators whose name was who? Tim Tebow. All right? And Tim Tebow, uh, during the season, the players would put eye ink, whatever, shadow under their eyes and he had this idea during the season that he wanted more than just a patch of ink. He wanted to put something significant on his face paint. So he wrote in his face, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that was his, his life verse for the season. Well, they had a great season, and they made it to the national championship, the final game of the year. And on the night before the game, he tells the story that the Holy Spirit just convicted his heart. Let's change our ink. And he's like, okay, what are we going to change it to? He said, John 3.16. Well, if you've ever played on a sports team that does good, it's very superstitious. I got a son-in-law sitting right up here, man. I don't know if he's still superstitious, but when the Buckeyes are playing, he's got a Buckeye necklace. He's wearing the Buckeye underwear. He got the full package because it changes the, the outcome of the game. Okay, it's a very superstitious world. And so he goes to, co to Coach Urban Meyer, and he says, listen, Coach. He says, Coach says, yeah, you ready for the game? He says, yeah, I'm ready for the game, but I got something I need to tell you. He said, well, what's up? And he said, I, I need to change my, my scripture. <laughs> you don't you change the scripture after tomorrow's game. And he said, no, I need to change the scripture. God told me to change the scripture. And he said, okay, what are you going to change it to? He said, John 3.16. So he put John 3.16 on his face. They went on to win the national championship. After the game, one of the PR people came to him and says, 
do you know what happened during the game while, while you were wearing that on your face? And he said, no, what? He said, 94 million people Googled John 3.16. What God told him to do in a moment, something so simple and seemingly so insignificant, writing John 3.16 on my cheek, 90 exposed 94 million people to the greatest verse that you can ever learn. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, he thought the story was over. He thought, well, God, that was just cool. That was just cool. I, you told me I did it. You, and, and, and people looked. So that's awesome. Well, he gets drafted into the pros, to the NFL. He's playing for the Denver Broncos. Three years has now gone by. He tells the story. And he's playing in the playoffs. And, uh, and he wins. And he, he, he wasn't looking for anything big to happen with John 3.16. But something big did happen. They won the playoff game in overtime. And so they were celebrating once again. One of the Broncos PR people came to him. He says, Tim, did, did you, do you know what this day is? And he goes, yeah, we won. That's a good day. And he says, no, man, it's bigger than that. He said, it's three years to the day that you put John 3.16 on your face for the national championship. He said, oh, really? That's cool. He says, no, that's not all. He said, three years to the day. And listen to these stats of these football game, of this football game. He says, Tim, you threw the football tonight for 316 yards. That's cool. He said the average yardage per completion at tonight's game was 31.6 yards. It's the highest in playoff history. He says the yardage rushed tonight, 3.16 yards. The TV ratings for the football game, 31.6. The total time of possession during the game, 31.06. And 90, 90 million more people Googled John 3.16. Now, isn't that amazing or what? Now, and, and it's an amazing story, okay? I'm telling you, this, this, this verse, there's something about it. it. It tells you who you are, who he is, and how you can connect with him. And it's simple. It, it's not rocket science. And we have a whole lot of people in the world that want to unpack it and make it rocket science. They want to make it where you have to be a, a theologian to really understand what that verse is saying. I'm not a theologian, and yet I can tell you what that verse says. God loves you and me so much, he sent Jesus to die, and we, when we believe in him, we don't die. We live forever in heaven. That's it. And if you understand that, it makes you a theologian too. Amen? Amen. Now, what is so great? It's not just a good verse. It's a great verse. And I was thinking about what makes it great. So here we go. It begins like this. For God, who just happens to be the greatest being, right? So, so is a word that implies the greatest possible degree. Loved, the greatest affection you can have. Loved, the greatest, uh, the greatest, excuse me, the world, the greatest offering of such a love. That he gave the greatest gift ever given. His only, the greatest treasure God ever possessed. His son, the greatest sacrifice. That whoever, with the greatest invitation ever given. That whoever can receive this. Listen, they, if they will believe in him, the greatest choice that can ever be made. Uh, should not perish the greatest rescue that's ever been accomplished, but have the greatest exchange that's ever been made. Eternal, the greatest measure of time 
life, the greatest possible experience. This verse is the greatest verse you can possibly put into your memory. And church, listen, we need to be quoting that. We need to be teaching our children and grandchildren that. We need to be sharing that with the lost people in our community, in our world, and in our schools. It is an amazing verse that God has given us to use to impact the world. Now, we need to understand there's a phrase in there that's a significant phrase that causes a lot of confusion. And it causes a lot of lost people to believe that they're saved people. It, it's, it separates those people who have a profession of Christianity and those who have a possession of Christianity. And it's this simple phrase. Those who, here it is, believe in him. Tell your neighbor you've got to believe in him. Now the expression to believe in occurs throughout the Bible, the New Testament. But it occurs 98 times in the gospel according to John. You see, John wanted you and wanted me to get this one thing. you got to believe in him. And, 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 and believing in him is the game changer. It, it, it means to place ourselves in him. It means that we recognize and realize he is 100% God. He is 100% perfect. He is 100% sinless, and we are the opposite of that. And now he says, you can take all of your mess, your baggage, your sinfulness, all of your garbage, you can come and place it in the person of Jesus Christ. Here's what that looks like. Wow, God, you're inviting me into a relationship you know me. I know me. And he says, yes, and I want you. We take our brokenness, our mess, our garbage, our sinful condition, and we take it and we place it in the perfection of who he is. And he exchanges his perfection for our sinfulness. He lavishes righteousness on us in exchange for our sinfulness. Now, it's a, it's a big deal because there's a lot of people who hear the gospel, they feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit inviting them out of their condition into a new life, and they have this thought that sounds like this. Well, I think I, I need to clean myself up. There's some things in my life that I need to get straightened out before I go to Jesus. Or they're like, well, I'm not ready to do that because if I get close to Jesus, he's going to know me. I got news for you. He already knows you. Okay, And I got news for you. You will never straighten yourself out enough so that you will be more pleasing to Jesus because he's perfect. That's not the way it works. And so if you've struggled and battled with that, where you just can't let yourself go because you feel like, man, my life's a mess. I can't give this stuff up. That's not what, the, that's not what John 3.16 says. It says when you believe in him, when you take you and give it to him and walk away with him, Christ in us, the hope of glory, then everything changes. And, and that's what being born again looks like. So, so I was thinking, how for me, how can I word this to help me? And so this is what I wrote. 
Truly believing in Jesus is the movement from an intellectual aptitude that changes our mind to a heartfelt action that captures our soul. Do you get the difference in that? It moves from this, this head gray matter knowledge to a heart and soul conviction to where when we sing a song, I just want to be where you are. It's real because he's there with you, because he's in you, because he possesses you, because he's taken you captive. He's exchanged him for you. That's what it, that's what it looks like when we get it. So, so now what's the result when we believe in him. What happens when we put all of our faith and trust in him? Well, he tells us we can have eternal life. Now, eternal life is, is an amazing thing. It's eternal. And you can look it up in the Greek, and it means eternal. In fact, the word for eternal is anios, and the word for life is zoe. Anios, zoe, it means infinity life. It means forever eternal life it means it goes on and on and on and on life now now let me explain let me just ask you a question do you enjoy life does anybody in here enjoy life well young people let me just go ahead and tell you 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 better enjoy it because when you get old you got to find that place to enjoy okay Kendra and I were talking about it last night and she said "I, I don't feel like I'm as old as I am I said of course she's not I said well baby you don't look like you old either you know? and, and, and I told her, I said, I, so what we do when we get older, we try to package ourselves younger. You know, we put on a cool jacket, you know, you know, whatever. Put on some boots and half skinny jeans. I'm not wearing Joe's jeans. His are like compression jeans, but, <laughs> but I'm, I, I need circulation in my feet. I'm getting older. Okay. So, 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 I, you know, you, you repackage it. Okay, you repackage a younger package. But, but, but on the inside, it's just old, getting old. And so it hurts like every day. You know, you get a little bit something hurts every day, every, all night. You don't hurt, you know. But here's the deal. There's part of this season of life, even getting older, that's sweeter than young life. Because when you're in young life and you're students, man, you're worried about, you know, everything. You know you worry about stuff, but almost to the point of anxiety. Everybody but Grant Disney, he never worries about anything. Okay? But other people do around him. He's the encourager to help people through the anxiety. And, and so, so what happens is when you get older, you realize, first of all, um, I get to slow down a little bit, and I don't have to worry about a job because I've been working my whole life. Okay, I'm tired of working. I don't want a job anymore. Okay, and, and, and you've been married. We've been married for 30, Kendra and I for 34 years. And there's part of that where we just know each other and we just, it's just better, okay? And, and now we have grandchildren and they're like better than children. It's awesome. And, and so, so it's a special place. But listen, I say all that to say this. Life is good, man. And I will tell you this. If you're at a place right now in your life and it's not good, and maybe you're hurting, and maybe you're going through something that's extremely difficult. I heard somebody who was a quadriplegic, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata this week on the radio, and she said somebody told her this, and it, it was really a, an amazing quote. It says that she was trying to understand how a sovereign God would allow her to snap her neck and be the rest of her life confined to a wheelchair. And this person told her, sometimes God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. 
That's what John 3.16 is all about. He didn't want to send his son. I mean, did he send his only son to brutally die for the sinfulness of mankind? He permitted that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. And so I want to help you. If you're in a place, man, you just cry out to God. He'll meet you, and he'll help you understand the beauty of the thing you have called life. And then all of a sudden in that moment, you can realize that when I place myself in Jesus, the, the very best moment in this life is magnified, and it lasts for infinity. That's what this verse brings to the table, and I'm just excited about it. So now when we, when we uh, realize the greatest question we can ever ask is how can this be and when we realize the greatest verse we'll ever learn is Jesus has done everything that moves us to the greatest decision we can ever make the greatest decision now we can ever make it says in verse 17 for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This, this verse kind of rattled me because it opened up a little bit. When I study God's Word, there's a lot of stuff I'm familiar with. But then there's times when you read something, you say, okay, I get this now. This helps me. And I want to unpack it a little bit so it will help you too. Jesus, this verse says, Jesus did not come to judge you or condemn you. Jesus came to save us from the fact that we are already judged and condemned. Jesus didn't come with a new set of rules to point his bony finger and say, you did this and you did this and you did this. Jesus did not come to point out that you're a sinner. Jesus came to save you from the fact that you already are a sinner. That's what this looks like. Sometimes people get a little sideways with that. They get a little confused by that. So, so, so I, I was thinking about it. How else can I say it? Here it is. Unbelief is not your cause of death. Unbelief is what prevents life coming or entering in to that which is already dead. You see, there's only two kinds of people in this world and two kinds of people in this room and only one of two people sitting in your seat. Those who have been born again, who have placed themselves in the gift, the grace, the love of Jesus and those who have not. Those who are now alive on the inside and those who are still in their dead condition that came on them at birth. You didn't ask for sin curse, you inherited it. That's what the Bible says. And it came a long way to get, it came, it traveled a long way to get to you. It started in the garden and it never missed a beat. And you were born with it. And so you get to this place where you hear a verse like that and you have to ask the greatest question ever asked. You have to consider the greatest verse ever learned. And then you get to make the greatest decision 
ever made. Matthew 1.21, before Jesus got here, it was revealed why he was coming. He came to rescue us. It says in 121 of Matthew, Mary will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus because, because he will save his people from their sins. <laughs> it's in his name, and it's why he came. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's people today who, who make these decisions. I'm not going to believe that Jesus is the only way to God. I'm not going to believe that my at the end of the day, that my badness is going to outweigh my goodness and I'll be cast into hell. They make these decisions that... that there's nothing about that in the Bible. <laughs> Honestly, God's not so concerned about your badness and your goodness. He's only concerned about what you do with his greatness. And that's it. And so I was thinking, how do you, how do you uh, close when you, a message like this? And the Lord sends me these beautiful stories. I think they're beautiful. And if you don't like them, it stinks to be you because they are. And I was sitting there this morning. Everything's finished. And I remembered what happened about two weeks ago. And it's a picture of what it means to place all of your faith and all of your belief in something greater. My little grandson is four. And he was at our house. I got home. This was two weeks ago. And I hadn't been in the house 15 seconds. He says, Popo. I says, yeah, buddy come with me and I did went out to the garage and we had bought Juliana this horse-drawn carriage thing okay still in the box Popo of the year probably been in the box six months well Judson saw it decided we need to put this together Kendra for whatever reason thought it was a good idea too and so she opened the box and she's got Juliana. She ain't put no toys together. So Judson, now he's going to do it himself. So you know what he does? He takes every part in that box. After I put it together, best I can tell, about a million six pieces. That's what it seemed like. Took them all out. Wheel up under the car. Little, one of them little cap nuts invented in hell. Rolled over under the water heater. You know, stuff everywhere. So I said, I took the chair. I put a chair over there. And I got out the little instruction paper. And it starts with the stickers. They're of the devil. They should have come with stickers on it. So I'm reading. And Judson, he's four. He came over and he said, Papa. I said, yeah, buddy. He said, you fix it. Put it together for me. And I said, yeah, I'm going I'm to try. I'm still reading. Kendra was standing there. He came over and he patted me. And he said, Papa. I said, yeah. He said, you can do it. I said, yeah, I can do it. I may bleed to death. I may have to ask forgiveness for some cuss words, but I will do it. Okay? And so this morning I was thinking, listen, that's what, that's what Jesus is looking for from you and from me and from you. He's looking for us to get to a place where we realize I got a box of mess. I got parts strode all over everywhere. I'm not even sure it can be put together and functional. 
And I don't know what to do with this thing that I've unpackaged. But I've made a stinking mess of it. So I'm going to take it to somebody greater. And we take that old box of broken stuff and we say, Jesus, come here. Fix this for me. Put this together. And then we say, you can do it. That's all he's looking for. Isn't that beautiful? It is beautiful. You know why? Because it's real. You know, in the depth of your soul, I know the believers in here felt what I just said. That's a beautiful picture of what happened in my life. I just took an old mess and said, fix this. I know you can. You can do it. And man, he's been fixing me ever since. And I still mess stuff up. But when the Father sees me, he doesn't see all my mess ups. He sees the rightness of Jesus fixing me every day. So I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I have one, one thing for you. Have you ever asked the greatest question, how can this be? Have you ever considered the greatest verse ever learned? And have you ever made the greatest decision you can ever make? Because in this moment, there are those in this room, I'm certain, that the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart, inviting you to receive all that He's done for you. And he's waiting on you to receive and accept such an amazing gift. And if that's you today, I want you to know all you do is say, Jesus, I'm bringing all of my brokenness, all of the scattered pieces, and I'm bringing them, and I'm bringing them into you. I'm giving you all of me in exchange for all of you save me rescue you rescue me just like you said you came to do adopt me into your family I receive your grace gift into my life help me live for you from this day forward thank you for saving me rest of us maybe we've been saved a short while or a long time have you forgotten the greatness of what he did for you I want you to remember and think about that moment when he invited you in and you received that grace gift I want the joy to swell up in your soul that the God of everything calls you his own loves you and he has a place for you forever in heaven father we thank you for being so patient so loving so giving so sacrificial so amazing god we thank you that you send your spirit into a place like this sitting on a hill like this and you speak in the depth of our soul you push through the noise and you call us out right where we are and you you touch us in that place that nobody else does and you give us the opportunity to receive that and to respond to that. 
I pray that the only spirit that's alive in here is your spirit. All others will be cast away. And that in this moment, if there's someone to be saved today, that they'll receive your grace gift and be changed for an eternity. That, that, that the kingdom of, 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 of hell will be diminished and the kingdom of heaven will be expanded because somebody received your gift of grace. God, for others, we pray that it would move us to a place that we cherish the moment when we received it and we're excited about living for you and sharing this amazing story with people around us. We thank you for all you do. 